<laughs> Do you know one of the most delicious little details of this? is that Wikipedia now has to do a redirect because they previously had a, an article, Trump impeachment. <laughs> and now, yeah, and now they have to... Re- but it's ambiguous. <laughs> Which impeachment did you mean? Uh, I, did you see, the, did you see the, the, the dojo tweet? I don't think so. Uh, I just tweeted this out. A friend of mine found it. It's a Don Trump Jr. tweet from... 2016. Dear Clintons, you know what's deplorable? Being impeached. <laughs> Hashtag basket of deplorables. That age. Oh, oh man. But uh, amidst all of this news, did you see the story today? I want to start with some light fare. Do you see the story? The story I, today about Jared and Ivanka's uh, Secret Service detail not being allowed to use the restrooms in their home. No. Yeah. So there's a story in the Washington Post. Uh, I will put this in the show notes. I promise. But uh, the basic right. gist is they have a very large home in a very nice neighborhood in Washington, and they've forbid they've they forbade okay. the Secret Service from using their restrooms, and the Secret Service therefore rented a basement studio apartment uh, somewhere on their block just to have access to the toilet, and it costs three thousand dollars a month, so over a hundred thousand dollars. Since 2017. You know what I hate about that? What what I hate about that is that it almost humanizes them. I mean, you've had right. work done in right. your home. No, we have. You want? Do you want? Do you want people taking dumps in your bathroom? Well, you know, it, it, we're lucky. We, you know, the 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 new place where we have a bunch of restrooms. You know, we've got powder rooms on every floor. I mean, that's the way you make a house. Like when I grew up, we had one toilet. You know, or actually, we had one in the basement. Yeah. But the basement one was. Uh, you know, not good, <laughs> not comfortable. I found um, I I found a, a a rifle in the drop ceiling of our basement toilet when I was a teenager. <laughs> do, do you know whose it was? Your brother's yeah. probably. <laughs> yeah, it was my brother's. Um, because you know, like a normal teenager, I was. St- that's where I stashed right. my porn. <laughs> that's a good hiding spot for uh, porn. <laughs> it is. It's the best right. hiding spot. So and it turns out that that that's where he was stashing his guns. Anyway, so it's yeah. it, but lower in the story, and and again, I like to filter these things through a okay. What if it was somebody I liked? You know, what if it wasn't the Kushners? If it was you know right. the Obamas or somebody? Is it unreasonable not to want the Secret Service to use your restroom? Now, now part of the problem, I think, the optics problem for them is that it's a very large house, apparently with a lot of restrooms. So they wouldn't it it, it quite possibly they could have made arrangements that they could have used a a, a restroom and not really disturb the family. The, Obama, the Obamas would have totally let them use. Well, the listen restroom. to this. Here I'm quoting from the story. They had a porta potty for a while, and the neighbors uh, out in the sidewalk, and the neighbors raised a stink because I guess the porta potty raises a stink. And then they did this. So the porta potty, this is from the story, was the agency's initial solution to the protective details dilemma, but it was removed in the face of the neighborhood's protests. After that, according to the law enforcement officials, the agents began using a bathroom in a garage at the Obama's house, which the former. No Which kidding. the former president's protective detail had turned into a command post. The Obamas did not use the garage. You know, I guess they don't drive. So the extra traffic to and from the command post caused no problem. Yet this solution, too, was short-lived after a Secret Service supervisor from the Trump-Kushner detail 
left an unpleasant mess in the Obama bathroom at some point before the fall of 2017, according to a person briefed on the event. <laughs> that that prompted the leaders of the Obama detail to ban the agents up the street from ever returning. You can, That's embarrassing. Can you even imagine? <laughs> How do you, I mean, you, Brief, you briefed can, on the event, the event. That's that's a call with with a boss that you never want to have. So, Ted, um, you know we've had some complaints about you wrecking a bathroom. And let's see who's. Let me check my notes here. The Obama's bathroom. I need more details about this event. I I need an entire story about this. This needs. Well, I'm thinking if I'm Secret Service, and I'm using Kushner's bathroom. I'm wrecking it. <laughs> that might I'm, be the- I'm, I'm, I'm wrecking it on purpose. Yeah, you would go into Taco Bell beforehand. <laughs> yeah, well, I, I'm like I'm like shoving yams in the in the toilet. Like fuck these people. Fuck these people. Fuck their plumbing. Fuck everything about them. We, I'm going to wreck this bathroom. We've all had uh, moments, you know, with an unpleasant. <laughs> We've all had unfortunate incidents with toilets, and and of course, you know, yeah, you know, and and you're in a yeah. guest, you may not know, you might just, you might, you might have a moment where you think, well, there's got to be a plunger. Everybody keeps a plunger. You got to have a plunger. You know, I'm amazed. I'm amazed uh, how often there isn't a plunger. And you know, look, I like to, I like to leave a clean yeah. bowl. Yeah. Whatever I do, I like to leave a clean bowl because one, I don't want people thinking that you know. I wasn't house trained, and and two, it's just common courtesy for the for you know the next well, rider. It's um, and and that that means that means a, sometimes a plunger, always a brush. Yeah. <laughs> you got to. How can you? You right. got to. It, you don't want to leave any evidence of what you did right. in there. But, you know, nobody nobody should have to come into a bathroom and see what somebody else did. <laughs> Briefed on the event. Uh, I, I want, uh, I would like the great Olivia Nuzzi to re- research this as uh, this, this incident in the Obama's garage restroom as her next, uh, uh, investigation. You know, you, you saw, I'm sure her, her, uh, her piece on the four seasons total landscaping, correct? I love that. Piece. She should win an award for digging into sometimes she like should. Uh, to me, there's two stories to write. There's the big the big story, right? The trunk of the tree, and then the leaves, the individual leaves. And there's so many stories. There's so many stories that could be written here. Now, this uh, the Four Seasons total landscaping. I, I, I presume everybody listening is vaguely familiar with this. This was in the immediate aftermath of of the election, and uh, R- R- Donald Trump's lawyer Rudy Giuliani called a, a press conference. <laughs> That Trump tweeted out as being at the Four Seasons Philadelphia, and yeah. and then had technically true, technically then, true. then sent out a correction. Four Seasons total landscaping exclamation mark. Oh, but between that, between the tweet and the correction, there was a tweet from from the Four Seasons yeah. that that was basically <laughs> fuck no. Well, and <laughs> you curse. Yeah, on you can. Show, you I can forget. curse. Okay. Yeah. But you're you're from Philadelphia, and so it 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 
And specifically, you grew up in the Northeast, which is actually where force is. No, don't say that. Don't say that. That's a hate <laughs> crime. I grew, I grew up uh, in Alney. Well, well, you're familiar with the Northeast, oh, though. I, I'm very familiar uh, with the Northeast, and I'm very familiar uh, with the neighborhood that Four Seasons Total Landscaping is in because there's a jail there. <laughs> what? That wasn't mentioned in the in the remarks. They they everybody just mentioned the porn shop and the crematorium across the street. Uh, well, there's a jail in that neighborhood, and that's where we used to go to visit my brother. Well, the brother who uh, stashed a rifle, <laughs> exactly, <laughs> along with your girly magazines. It's it you know your standard fuck around and find out Philadelphia story. So my favorite little side note of the Four Seasons Total Landscaping thing is, and you know, uh, Center City Philadelphia is very small for a major metropolitan city. It's it's it, it's Tiny. literally walkable because where Center City Philadelphia is, with the handshake deal that that William Penn had with the uh, this, I guess they were the Schuylkill uh, Native Americans, but you know it was what whatever he could walk in an afternoon would be the the city, and he walked from yeah. river to river. Um, but it's it's tiny. It, 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 it broke that deal later. Uh, well, we we don't have to go into that, but but it's oh, it is I, by definition a walkable center city. It is very so. Walkable. So we were close to all of this. Uh, craziness during the vote counting i mean you know we don't live quite in the neighborhood but the uh, convention center is you know i don't know it's like a mile away or something it's very close it's right around the corner from hop Singh, actually yeah i know right. that area really well that's where the gallery right is right which is yeah. undergoing a major reconstruction you know sort of modernizing when when this was going on, it seemed crazy that it would be at the Four Seasons. The Four Seasons used to be on the Parkway, but then they've they are now on the the penthouse floors of the new Comcast Tower. So, like the top two or three floors of the tallest new tallest building in Center City is the Four Seasons. And it just seemed crazy. Why in the world, you know, for the few minutes where it seemed like they would be doing this, it seemed like, how is this even possible? And at the time, there were restrictions in this city. You you couldn't hold a press conference indoors. And then when the total mm-hmm. landscaping thing came out, this is my favorite thing. My wife, who I believe you know, you're familiar with with my wife. It's still, is it still yeah. Amy Jane? My first, my first okay. wife. That surprises me. <laughs> Nobody's more surprised than me, quite honestly. Oh, I believe really, it. Really, that's, it's really, I feel like I'm over, you know, but anyway, my favorite thing was when Trump t- tweeted Four Seasons Total Landscaping. Amy was on on Twitter at the time, and she said, what does that even mean? And she thought it meant it, it was some kind of jargon like uh, carpetbagging or gerrymandering, you know, that like a, a landscaping is some kind of uh, old-timey, hundred-year-old term for <laughs> – for a way to get cheated out of an election. And wouldn't it be Trump? Like, wouldn't it, if that was a, you know, like a, a, if it was a landscaping, Trump would call it a total landscaping, right? It's the best, the best. Right. It was a total landscaping, but it turns out it was actually not, it was actually a landscaping company in the, in the Northeast. So, um, Shit, I can't remember if that was last week or this week. Remember when he uh, he, he went to um, he went to Alamo, Texas? That was like what two days ago? Was that was that two days ago? Jesus, uh, he totally meant to be going to to the Alamo in San Antonio, right? right? I had to, right? That was the same right. thing. And it, in fact, yeah. his 
his dummies on the internet, uh, they all thought that this is it because they're, you know, people screenshotted this, you know, like the, the people who got kicked off Reddit and they've, what do they have? The dot, the Donald dot win or whatever, wherever they, they reformed. Right. They, they were all celebrating it. They're like this, you know, the, these kooks who think that, you know, that, that he's somehow uh, uh, is going to unveil evidence. They're like, ah, genius. His last stand will be at the Alamo. Do it at the yeah. Alamo. Yeah. Like Davy Crockett. He's lucky he didn't have it like the Alamo rent a car at uh, Reagan National International Airport. Jesus Christ, that would have been amazing. <laughs> I I I really hope somebody floated the rent the the Alamo rent a car stand <laughs> as an idea. <laughs> um, what a shit shit! Un, really, just unbelievable. What a total. Absolute shit show. Uh, I want to talk to you. Well, let me let me take a break first. I'll, t- I'll do it. You should get me on your podcast. Yeah. <laughs> let me take a break here and uh, tell you about our first sponsors, our good friends at HelloFresh. With HelloFresh, you get fresh, pre-measured ingredients and mouth-watering seasonal recipes delivered right to your door. HelloFresh lets you skip those trips to the grocery store and makes home cooking easy, fun, and affordable. That is why it is America's number one meal kit. I did not know that. HelloFresh cuts out stressful meal planning and grocery store trips so you can enjoy cooking and get dinner on the table in about 30 minutes or less. Everything comes to you in a box. The box has like dry ice in it or something to keep it cold. Everything comes. It's all fresh. Everything is in one box. The recipes, everything. And they offer twenty through over 23 recipes every week. You pick the ones that appeal to you and your family with multiple flavors, cuisines, ingredients. They also have everything from low-carb, carb-smart, vegetarian, pescatarian options every week, and kid-friendly recipes. They know, you know, kids don't maybe don't have the widest uh, palate, if we want to be generous. <laughs> they, they make it all easy. HelloFresh is great. We've had it, and it is great. The food is excellent. The recipes are easy. It really, it's good stuff, and it, it really is. It's just easy. So where do you go to find out more? Go to HelloFresh.com slash 10TalkShow, 10TalkShow. That's the number one, the number zero, TalkShow. And use that code, 10TalkShow, for 10 free meals, including free shipping. That's HelloFresh.com slash 10TalkShow with the code 10TalkShow. You get 10 free meals. That's a, This is really one of the great uh, deals I've ever uh, had the pleasure of reading on a podcast. That's really quite a thing. You sound exactly. Uh, I am. I'm very happy about HelloFresh. I like them. All right. I wanted to have you on the show because I, I've been wondering about this with Twitter and kicking Trump off the platform. And I, I heard a little something. I, I have been on the side of they should kick him off for a while now. I, I've thought it should have happened yep. a while ago. And, you know, I might agree. Well, here's the thing. I was thinking about who I should have on the show to talk about. And I don't want someone who's just going to agree with me. And I'm thinking I should try to find somebody who thinks that he shouldn't be kicked off. And you can't, I, I can't find anybody at this point. And then it, I realized the better debate would be to have you on because you felt more strongly about it than I did and thought, you know, so tell, tell me when you think they should have kicked him off the show. I mean, it's it's fair to say that you have been a leading critic of Twitter's continuing support for this president being on their platform. 
I mean, I've I've been um, I've I've been one of the louder ones. I don't know if it's amounted to to a hill of beans, uh, but I'm certainly not afraid to to yell. Um, and I've been so I've been bugging Twitter about this since I I, I guess since he entered the 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 race in 2016. Because I mean, I was you, you know. Everybody remembers the scene of him coming down, you know, the the golden escalator at Trump Tower and immediately declaring that, you know, Mexicans were rapists and that he was running for president. At the same time, he was amassing a ton of Twitter followers. And uh, do you remember his first tweet? No, I don't. It was something about, hey, I'm going to be on uh, some late night talk show. I forget which one, but hey, I'm going to be on some late night talk show. Uh, come and you know, come and watch. That was his first tweet, and for a while, I mean, that was that was the kind of tweet that he would send. He, he, he remember he had that that whole thing with Robert Pattinson and uh, about you know uh, you shouldn't be dating Chris right, Stewart. Right. It was that kind of like ce- celebrity bullshit. Right. Um, and then he kind of stumbled into, hey, what if I make a couple of really racist tweets? Right. And his follower count started going up. Um, and then it exploded. So um, like any good uh, sociopath, uh, he started doing the thing that got him the attention. So stuff got more more virulent, more, more virulent, more, more, more racist, more sexist. Uh, he started getting more followers. And at the same time, Remember, at the same time, I mean, this was back when Twitter was talking about, like, holy shit, we should probably just sell the Facebook right. or, you know, we're, we're running out of cash here. We don't know what we're going to do. And all of a sudden, they discover this this secret potion um, of, of this this seven, 70-year-old xenophobe. Um, and, and they decide, we're going to ride this guy to the bank. And then he decides to run for president. And... We were like equal parts mocking him, like, oh my God, what an idiot. This is going to be hilarious. Like, I remember at this point, John Stewart was still doing The right. Daily Show. And I remember John doing a segment with where he was like, thank you, thank you, on behalf of comedians everywhere, thank you for running again, uh, because this is exactly what we need, you know, to make the jokes. Um, so, so it was like 50% that and 50% of, uh, people who were like, no, wait a minute, this is actually terrifying, uh, because this is, this idiot actually knows how to reach like the worst of the worst and speak in their language and fire them up. And he has absolutely no problem saying what they believe to hear um, and so he was on Twitter and he was building this massive following and he was saying all of this, this terribly racist, sexist stuff. And he was attack- attacking people personally. And um, it was getting dangerous. Twitter, rather than, you know, following the rules, its own guidelines that it all that were already in print, rather than doing that, they kept moving the goalposts to excuse what he was saying. Because that was getting them that all important engagement that they wanted. Right. It was it just it was it it 
it drove cement helped cement their place in the the it was making them the, money it was making them money in our collective minds and, you know trump tweets yeah. you know it, it really did it, it drive twitter as a source of of news you know like the fact what right. he tweeted was the news i mean history is going to remember you know when history talks about trump the word tweet will be in the first sentence I've seen people talking about, you know, like, well, do you think he ever could have been president without Twitter? I, I don't even think it's no. close. I don't even think it, it, it it's a close no. call because I don't think he ever would have got propelled into politics without Twitter. Right. Like it's like what you were just saying no, five minutes made- ago. He used to be talking about, you know, uh, the, the, the type of stuff that he, you know, a game show host would tweet about because that's what he was. Yeah, and and I'm, I'm sure that all of the racist, xenophobic shit that he's that he's that he spews out on Twitter was you know shit that he said at home. I'm not saying Twitter made him that way. Um, I'm saying that Twitter gave him one hell of a bullhorn. He really got propelled into politics on the issue of whether Barack Obama was born in Kenya and was therefore un, yeah. un, unfit to be the president under the Constitution. That was his. First big flip from, you know, standard used car salesman bullshit into politics was the birtherism angle. And he got a tremendous amount of attention for that. And it's really hard to imagine how he did it, how he would have done it without Twitter. I mean, I guess he could have and he did call into Fox News shows and be on the telephone talking to whoever was the, you know, Bill O'Reilly or whoever was the host, you know, before he got kicked off the network. Uh uh, but it it really was why was why was Donald Trump considered an authority on the issue of the quote unquote controversy over birtherism? It's because of his tweets, right? Like Donald Trump would not have been president without Twitter, and Twitter had everything they needed to stop Donald Trump from becoming president back in 2016 by just enforcing their own rules. I I think about you know and it is he what he did tweet was against the rules I I don't see you know and I do think that's important but I and carving out this exception that okay you, everybody else has to follow these rules but we will make an exception for state leaders is almost the worst thing you could do if there's anybody if there's one group that should have to follow the rules it should be state leaders you know. And if there's one group that certainly doesn't need to be amplified, it's state leaders. I mean, you know, when you when you when you listen to some of the arguments that people have made about why we, he needs to be there, it's like so. Well, because we need to know what he thinks. We've known what every president has thought, right? Without they, Twitter, they 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 literally have the world's. They literally have a press room in their house. <laughs> That's true, right? In their right. house. We've never, you, you don't look back at the previous 44 presidents and say that they were silenced because they didn't have Twitter or, you know, didn't use it or, you know, nope, nope. It's just not true. To me, and it's very clear now that he's gone. And I mean, my argument in, on maybe it was okay, you know, I'll try to take Twitter's side on this and say that they, I, th- I think they're – what was the saying from the Revolutionary War where there was a battle and the guy said, you know, don't fire till you can see the whites of their eyes, 
right? We everybody grows up hearing okay. this legend. And I think there's that's sort of the mindset Twitter had of, you know, he did things that could be justified for kicking him off before, but wait, wait until it's even worse, wait until it's even worse, wait until it's even worse. And then all of a sudden he's telling these armed insurrectionists to go storm the Capitol and they do it and people get killed. You know, a cop got his brains right. bashed in with with a fire extinguisher i mean and it, it was perilously close to them bursting in and and getting access to members of congress um and and so uh, clearly yeah. this is over the line and and to me there might be if to play devil's advocate to you there's some some sense in my mind a feeling that okay now it's it, this you you cannot take the other side you know, if you do, you're you're supporting an armed insurrection. So yeah, and and I mean, they're still doing it. We still had like what almost two hundred Congress people yesterday vote to not impeach right, him for trying to get them killed. Yeah, um, you know the 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 way to till they see the whites of their eyes. Things reminds me of um, so my whole family voted for him. And when I was trying to talk sense into him uh, back in 2016, I was like, because we're immigrants, we're an immigrant family. And I was like, how the hell can you vote for this clown? He, I mean, he's, he's, he's a xenophobe. He hates, well, not us, not us was the first thing that they told me. He didn't mean us. He means those other, the, the black and brown ones and, you know, not, you know, European immigrants. Um, and I mean, when we talk about like Twitter, you know, waiting to see how much worse it could get and and waiting to collect a body of evidence, decisions like this are generally made by people who are on that last line of protection, otherwise known as privilege Mm -hmm. of being hurt. So let's let them make fun of these people. Let's let them make fun of these people. Let's let them make fun of these people. Okay, now he's getting a little too close to us. There. Okay, we've seen him take down. We've seen him take down like eight groups. Now he's getting a little close. All right, now it's dangerous. And that's one of the things that pisses me off about that that sort of thinking. It's like we'll we'll let him go ahead and use other people. Uh, at to, well, let's test. Let's test on them, and then if he gets close to us, then we'll do something. And there's a, there, another analogy that I've been thinking about is if if you, if you spot a kid playing with matches, you, you you take the matches away right away. You don't wait until they actually start a fire, right? Like right. And it. I don't. I, I know that there's news coming out even as we speak. A week later, there's still news coming out about what exactly went on and and which groups were actually not just a bunch of yahoos walking around the halls, but actually had a plot last week. It, it's it's worse than it looked, and I, I really feel that when it, by the time we're done reporting, get, reading the reports on this, we're going to see how perilously close we were to a truly profound disaster. Like I, I still don't know that it makes you know there was a path to make him president, but I, there was definitely a path where members of Congress get killed on that day. Yeah, no, they were. I mean, I think we're eventually going to see like those those line drawing diagrams 
like bird's eye view of like here's a congressperson and here's like the six inches of drywall separating them from this jackass this, this uh, carrying like five weapons there's there's an argument that jack dorsey has too much jack dorsey and mark zuckerberg have too much power because they do run their companies and ultimately it was it's their call right it's zuckerberg who signed his name to the post that said he's permanently banned from facebook and it, you know obviously jack was the one that you've been petitioning i mean and you you've you've talked to jack right i mean i did i talked to him face to face in january of 2017 we met in person after I'd been um, giving him, well, I've been, I was harassing right. him. I was harassing him on Twitter about this, and uh, he agreed to meet, and um, we met, and we talked about this, and um, I walked out of there terrified. Why? Because I saw fear. I saw somebody who was so incredibly terrified of the situation that he had somehow gotten himself in. Um, it's 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 like he uh, he accidentally got himself in this incredibly powerful position. I mean, hold on a second. Hold on. Um, Chelsea's leaving for work, and I want to hug okay. her goodbye. You edit, right? Yeah. Yeah, we do. Yeah. All right, hold on. Have a good day, all right? I'll see you after work. Okay. Sorry about that. Let me see if I can um, start this off. Okay. So he had gotten himself into like almost accidentally like he he wanted to do like a messaging app for 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 bike messengers remember that yeah totally yeah and and here he is now accident like he forest gumped himself into this this position of incredible power he had absolutely no idea how to handle it or what to do with it he doesn't have the strongest moral code in the world and um Everybody was telling him how awesome he was, and he had apparently done away with anybody who was a good enough uh, friend or or whatever to smack him upside the head when he needed a good smacking, which everyone needs. And um, he somehow found himself in charge of the of the the platform that the the most powerful person in the world was using to communicate and he didn't know how to control him and he was terrified the the time to do it was at the beginning like when he was a game show host posting racist conspiracy theories about obama's birthplace that was the time to yeah, do it he could have stopped it right and there you just say this imagine where we would be right now seriously imagine what me and you would be doing right now if Jack Dorsey had done his job back in 2016, if he had, if he had, in, if he had enforced his own guidelines, his own agreed to guidelines on this guy in 2016, imagine where where me and you would be right now. Imagine what you'd be doing. Imagine what your kid would be doing. <laughs> 
And I mean, this goes for every listener out there. Imagine what your life has been the last four years, the fear and the anxiety and the terror. And finally, like this, an unchecked pandemic. uh, So much worse response to the pandemic of any other country in the world that it is ridiculous. It's, it's absurd. I mean, my dad's sister died of COVID. My aunt died of COVID. I mean, that's horrible. I, I, I'm Sorry. not looking for. I, I, it's terrible, but I mean, it's it, to say that it is real to me is it's profound. Uh, you know, it. it, it uh, we're we're arguing. We're arguing right. whether it's real, which is ridiculous. Right. Well, that's that to me is the that's the unacceptable aspect of it, right? The the using it. You know, to put it in a political terms, the big lie, right? So it's a big lie that this election was rigged in any way. This was actually, you know, arguably one of the the most secure elections in the history of human democracy. You know, the the, the opposite. It, it couldn't be more untrue. It's a big lie, uh, and, and that to me is the effectiveness. Like, because on the one hand, I could. I, it, we're, we're talking about the fact that the president of the United States, this president, the next president, previous presidents don't need Twitter to get their message out, right? But so, so to me, this whole argument about free speech and that he's being quote unquote silenced is it, it's sophistry. They're they're arguing about free speech and silencing people because they know that people there's widespread support for free speech and and tolerating viewpoints that we disagree with, right? I mean, at some point, at some point, when we're done, like, counting the bodies and doing that important work and getting this pandemic under control, we're going to start, like, we're going to start doing, like, like our, our top 500 things ruined by this administration list. And there were a lot of them. What it's done to the issue of free speech is in the top 10 for me. I'm a free speech advocate. Right. And and me too. I really am. And and so I would think right. you were. Um, and the cynical way that it's being talked about now by both, you know, the jackasses on the right and the jackasses in tech companies uh, and the the way what what they have uh, turned free speech into the mutation, the horrid mutation that's their definition of free speech is so counter uh, to to what it was actually intended to be and what it actually still is legally that it's 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 really fucked with with the whole idea of what free speech is about. Um, I mean, so so basically free speech means the government can't tell you you can't put you you can't put this podcast right. up John we don't like what you say it's the government doing it i mean I, I, it's it's such an important distinction i mean this i mean the first line of the first amendment is congress shall congress shall pass none something like that right but it applies to congress um, but this is your podcast, and you can have on whoever you want. You can talk about whatever you want, and uh, you know people can decide whether to listen to it or not listen to it. Uh, if you go off on some some weird right wing tangent, somebody can decide. Well, you know what? I don't want to listen to that. I don't want to be on that. I don't want to host that. 
I don't want to be associated with that. None of those things, none of those things are about free speech. Right. And so, in fact, I would argue that 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 me telling you I'm, I, I won't host your hateful podcast anymore is more covered by free speech. Right. Than you being able to. Host. Right. Because there's there's agency involved in being, you know, sovereignty, you know, that that yeah. you get to say what you want to say. But the restaurant owner also gets to say, if you're going to say that in my restaurant, you're out, you know. Right. That's. That's that's you know your 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 ability to use use racial slurs to address the waitstaff at a at a restaurant. Uh, it, it is your right. You're not going to be arrested for it, you know. But the restaurant has a right, and if they want to be the sort of restaurant people want to go to, they're going to tell you you're not welcome there anymore. Yeah, I mean that's what I would I would say that they have an obligation to do that. There was a, a, a friend sent me a, a a story. It seems like one of those things that's gone around, but I had never seen it before. But it was just just a story about a, a guy sitting in a bar, and a guy sits next to him, and you know a stranger comes up to the bar, and he has like Nazi patches on his jacket, and the bartender just immediately says, "Out, get out, get the hell out," and the guy said, "What? What? You know?" And he said. Just get out. You're out. The guy hadn't even opened his mouth, hadn't said anything, was by himself. The guy who's still at the bar says, what was that about? You know, and he's like, you saw his patches. And he says, yeah, but he didn't, you know, he didn't say anything. Uh, And he said, you let a Nazi in. And next thing you know, you're running a Nazi bar. Because what happens is the next time he comes back, he's a nice guy. He doesn't make any trouble. He comes back with a friend, and they don't make any trouble. Then they come back with two friends, and maybe the third or fourth guy does start making a little trouble and does start saying things. And next thing you know, the whole place is covered with Nazis. You got to get them out. And uh, that, to me, is, is the power of Twitter removing him from the platform. And it's not about silencing him. It's about saying and reflecting, not just Jack Dorsey's opinion that he isn't suited to be on the platform, but society's perspective that you cannot, you 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 cannot, from a position of power, convince people of serious lies. That's it's not acceptable. You know, by not booting him, uh, what. Jack was telling everybody who uh, Trump was harassing that he didn't give a shit about them. Right. No, very true. And and that it's it, it's implicitly saying that it's that everything he was doing is acceptable. Not that he agree nobody's going to say that Jack Dorsey agrees with those viewpoints, but that they are acceptable discourse. You know, you Yeah. I I mean if I if I own a bar I got to make sure that everybody there is having a nice time. That's my job. I invited them in. I opened the door. I said, hey, come on in. I'll sell you drinks. And in exchange, you hang out and you give me money for those drinks. And I'll, you know, I'll create this nice environment for you to come and drink in. And, you know, um, I got to look out for those folks. So when the Nazi walks in, I mean, you kick them out. Because you don't want him to come back with his friends, obviously, but you also kick him out because there are other people right. in the bar. Right. And they're having a good right. time. And they they certainly have a right not to feel threatened, you know, or offended, right. you know. It, it, 
And, you know, if, if the Nazis should turn to like a black patron at the bar and start, you know, spouting out racial shit, what, what am I, I mean, right now, let's like, let's say Jack is your, your bartender. Jack has been, you know, telling those patrons, well, he has a right to say that. There's on, on, you don't, nobody goes back to that bar. You don't go back to that bar. No, right. It's, and that's how it becomes a Nazi bar because no one else will go. So Nikki Haley, who uh, uh, was UN ambassador under Trump and one of the few people, she's former governor of South Carolina, one of the few people involved in this whole administration who has her reputation intact. She tweeted, uh, my she? opinion of her is certainly lower, but you know her opinion in, in the world of U.S. politics, you know. She tweeted after, after tw- Twitter uh, gave him the boot, the permanent boot, uh, Here's the tweet. Silencing people, not to mention the president of the U.S., is what happens in China, not our country. Hashtag unbelievable. And I, uh-huh. I've, I talked about this on my other show with uh, Dithering with Ben Thompson. But I, I, this infuriates me. This one tweet encapsulates it, it – uh, it, it's infuriating, but I, I salute her for so succinctly espousing this viewpoint of silence. And uh, somebody named Jamil Jaffer tweeted a perfect response. Another way to look at this is that forcing publishers to publish the government speech is what happens in China, right? And and that that comes to the issue of agency, that that Jack Dorsey should not feel obligated to host Trump spouting, you know, that's that's the opposite of it. But this, it, 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 when I see these people say silencing, if you replace it with shaming and disgracing, it works. What they're saying is we don't want to be silenced. What they really mean is we don't want these viewpoints that we have to be shameful and disgraceful. We don't want this to be we don't want this to be considered shameful discourse. We want this to be considered acceptable. Right. Their argument isn't about free speech. It's about consequences. Like you're saying, they don't want to have to bear the consequences of what they say. I'm so angry, Mike. And, 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 you know, we lose. We lose because we take the bait. For four years, we have been taking the bait. Trump says, hey, the Venezuelans stole our election. Which is like, what the fuck? Where did that come from? That's almost inspired. <laughs> it's almost inspired that you could come up with something that inane. Hugo Chavez. But all of a sudden. Hugo Chavez, who died 10 years sudden, ago. Well, I, did he? I don't <laughs> right. know. How can we be sure? All of a sudden, every newsroom in America is devoting like, like 30, 40, 50 reports news news reporting hours to 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 seeing whether this is true or not <laughs> right <laughs> i mean his 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 evil 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 genius is that he realized people will chase every inanity that comes out of his mouth and we're idiots because you know look at us we're still arguing about free speech <laughs> And this issue has absolutely zero to do with free speech. But yet, that's 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 what we're arguing about here. 
So we already took the bait. We already in, lost. In terms of the power that they say, this unchecked power that Zuckerberg and Dorsey have over their platforms and that it's too concentrated in the hands of a few, that it is true that they have enormous power. Right? I mean, there's no question about it. But whether it's, it's uh, 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 unheralded you know, or, or unprecedented, I, I would disagree. I would say that the era... When I grew up, when you and I were kids, when there were only three broadcast networks on television and every single adult, almost every single adult in the nation is addicted to television to some degree. Yeah. When there's only three networks that they had at least as much collective power on, on the, but, but they wouldn't use it. You, a crackpot racist, the John Birch Society didn't get on ABC's Sunday morning shows and, and, start spouting their lunacy they kept it off you know it was they yeah i mean i would certainly argue that somebody like walter cronkite had a ton of right. power but he also had a more code it it definitely had a tremendous amount of power but it and you know i mean it was no joke i mean he was like the most you know the gallup poll would show that he was the most respected person in america after he retired you know for years yeah uh, it, the you know it is dangerous and and uh, to have power in the hands uh, tremendous power in the hands of private citizens but that's 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 the way the system works i mean and i i don't know what what regulation a government regulation of facebook and twitter and social networks should be it's it's hard hard to say uh, i mean i i i would argue that that two white dudes on a podcast should not be the ones deciding that. <laughs> well, luckily we won't be. <laughs> because I don't know what they are either, but I know I know um that we need something. To me, the 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 powerful thing that is happening at this moment as we speak this week is is and and a tremendous shifting in public opinion. I mean, Trump has done so much. What are you doing? Popping pills over there? Yeah. Tr Trump Yeah, like candy. It candy. became a running gag. I mean, John Oliver, Zanet. John Oliver made "We Got Him" into a, a meme that he would do something yeah. or say something that was so scandalous and outrageous to right-thinking people, uh, and and we would say "We Got Him." Right? I mean, most famously, the the uh, Access Hollywood tape leaking before the election. Right? right. It seemed like how how could this? How can he possibly still get elected? when he's caught on tape saying such ridiculous things, uh, truly profoundly just horrible, uh, offensive. Uh, and you know, we got him, we got him, but this time we did this time well, we, we did get him because all of these times when, and, and he'd do all these things and his support remained almost unchanged. I mean, we've, we've had a year long pandemic that he, told us uh, uh, repeatedly on camera. I mean, that's the thing. He does all these things on camera. Told us it was no worse than the flu. It was going to wash away in April when the, when the days get longer right. and the, it gets a little bit, little nicer weather in the Northern Hemisphere. It'll just go away. I mean, it's just ridiculous things. And his support did not go down until, until well, this what, week. You know now his support has truly taken, uh, it's like an 11 or 12 point dive. Well, his support didn't change, and um, what, else, what the other things that didn't change was he remained white, and he remained a racist. Right. And uh, that's what people were voting for. 
Let me take a break here and thank our next sponsor. Oh, and man, am I happy to talk about this. Tech Memes Ride Home Podcast. Hey, when the New Yorker magazine asked Mark Zuckerberg, of all people, how he gets his news, he said the one news source he definitely follows is Tech Meme. I have been reading Tech Meme personally for, God, close to 20 years at this point. I love Tech Meme. You go there, has all the top stories, all the links, all the commentary, all in one place. What is going on in tech today, right now? You find out a Tech Meme Dig in deep or just take a scan and see what's going on. Uh, well, for the last three years and now over 800 episodes, the Tech Meme Ride Home podcast has been Silicon's favorite tech news podcast. It is Tech Meme, the website, come to life in a podcast. Every episode, it's a daily episode, every day, 15 to 20 minutes, that's it. And by 5 p.m. Eastern, two in the afternoon for you on the those of you on the West Coast, uh, and you catch up on all of the latest tech news. It is more than just headlines. You could get a robot to read you headlines, but Tech Memes Ride Home Podcast has all the context around the latest news of the day. The top stories, the top posts, tweets, conversations about those stories, as well as behind-the-scenes analysis. The Tech Meme Ride Home Podcast is like too long, didn't read, as a service. The folks at Tech Meme are all online, online, all day, obsessively following the news, you can just get the synopsis of it with the podcast. They have great interviews over the weekend, too. Uh, people like Mark Gurman, M.G. Siegler, who's been on this show, uh, to, to people like Steve Case. Uh, it's great. It is a great podcast. If you're listening to me right now, it means you like technology and you like listening to podcasts, you should check out the Tech Meme Ride Home podcast. You really should. So, Listen to the one podcast that anyone who's anyone in Silicon Valley listens to every single day. Search your podcast app right now for Ride Home and subscribe to the Tech Meme Ride Home podcast. So my thanks to the Tech Meme Ride Home podcast for sponsoring my podcast. You know, I walked away for a second and I came back and you were talking about 15 to 20 minute podcasts. Yeah. And I thought, well, he's not talking about this one. <laughs> you know, my other show with Ben, uh, the dithering, we do 15 minutes on the button every, 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 every day, three times a week. That's the, that's the sweet. Spot. Uh, it's, it, people love it. I, I really should, uh, I, I, it's, it does seem like it's a sweet spot. It's a really great, uh, I, I can't tell you how many people have written to me and said, and they're always very nice because they're fans, you know, people who read my website. And, you know, some people love long talk shows. Uh, uh, you know, they love that this show is two hours long because they have, you know, they just love listening to long podcasts. But there's other people who, you know, they're listening, they're listening to us right now at like 2x speed and we sound like Alvin and the Chipmunks yeah. having like intercourse. <laughs> but I, so many people love the fact that Dithering is only 15 minutes long because they don't want a long talk show. So uh, it, to me, it's just one of those things where the, the sweet spot is either be really long or really short one way or the other. Did you see, um, did you see Jack's bullshit? No, I did night? not. I had enough. I, I last night I had enough. I, I I got off the internet. I was just I can't take it. I, I couldn't take watching these Republicans vote against impeachment. Couldn't take it. Oh, I couldn't. I I didn't watch any of that. Last night, the Wizard of Bitcoin got back and um, uh, made his first public statement since uh, booting Trump. He said it's he, he while he agreed uh, with some difficulty. Uh, 
with having to um, kick Trump off, he he believes it sets a very dangerous precedent. Um, and then he started. He went into a weird Bitcoin promo. No, are you serious? Yeah. No, go look. It's all there. <laughs> um, he went into a and, and then he started talking about blockchain and um, and here's the scary part. Uh, he started talking about um, uh, decentralized platforms mm-hmm. and how that's the future of all this shit. Um, and in combination with, I mean, did you see uh, Sheryl Sandberg talking about how you know none of this, none of this capital riot planning happened on Facebook? Oh, no, I did not see that either. Oh yeah, she said that. <laughs> she said that. So so you got. People at Facebook saying, nah, it didn't happen here. We don't have a problem. And uh, you got Jack saying, well, the only problem with our platform is that I'm I'm still too close to the blame. <laughs> and, um, you know, people have been talking about, like, this is Tech's moment of reckoning. Because, you know, you've got, you know, all of this shit happening on Twitter and Facebook. And, and do they say parlay or parlor? Parlor. So we, yeah, because yeah, they're done. Yeah, they. <laughs> so, and you've got they, but they have things. There, you could have a parlay with somebody on Parlor, but they pronounce the name of the the platform as Parlor. You know, you know. Sometimes waking up and uh, deciding to be, you know, it's a decision that I'm going to wake up and be dumb. <laughs> it's a decision that people make. Um, I mean, this is Tech's moment of reckoning. Like all of this shit that's happening now is built is happening because you know we built shit tools, and we didn't care to manage those tools, and we got them too big to manage in some cases and badly managed in other cases. It never really gave a shit about managing them in, in many of the cases, and now what we're hearing from two the two biggest platforms, arguably. Um, is, yeah, we still don't see a problem here. And that scares the hell out of me. <laughs> I Because we're not done. We're not done. I mean, it's January 20th is, is, not, is not the goal right. line. It's not like the end of the race. We're not done right. here. Um, it, I mean, we're getting, we're, we're, we're like getting one, we're getting the big, one of the biggest idiots away from the nuclear codes. That happens January twentieth, and that's all very appreciated. Appreciated, um, but uh, these idiots that he riled up, and they were always, they were always these people, uh, but they never felt quite as powerful as they did when he was in charge. And now they're riled up. There, to me, a clear place to draw the line of enforcement is. To to reaffirm our our and this sounds so highfalutin, but to reaffirm our our culture and our society's commitment to the truth being important facts, right? It, it, oh, our society's never been committed well, to that. But but our it it's it's been our north star north star though, right? We've failed in so many ways. Um, but we keep that's the direction that we keep going right and and it is it is a, a it, it it 
goes back to the Enlightenment, and it ties like political truths. Uh, like, was this election fair? Did Joe Biden fairly win the election? It, it, it it's every bit the same sort of thinking that that got Gal- Galileo locked up by the the Catholic Church that he was doing science right and telling people things right. they didn't want to hear, and whether he was whether what he said was true or not, and the science could be backed up by actual facts and observations didn't matter, right? It's it's the same sort of thing. And it's – so like where do you draw the line, you know, in, in terms of what sort of stuff going forward will not be tolerated on a platform like Twitter? And it's not about disagreeing, right? It's not – that that is the, the – the, uh, What's the Voltaire line that I, I disagree with you, but I will, you know, fight to the end to support your right to say it. Uh, it, it what can't be tolerated is promoting things that are obviously not true. That has to be that it, it cannot be tolerated. Do you remember when uh, Zuckerberg said he was OK with Holocaust? Yes, denial? I do. That was terrifying. Right. right. It. Fucking terrifying. It was, it's really hard to imagine that, and and it, it's such a slow boil, right? It's it, it, we're all frogs who've been in this slowly boiling pot, and now here we are, you know, getting burned. But it, it like when you and I were kids, like, could you imagine? You, it would be hard to d- describe Facebook, but it would be fair to say, you know, who's Mark Zuckerberg? He's he is a billionaire self-made billionaire who was in control of a platform, a computer platform where people can post things, right? That That's a description you could take back to your 1985 self and it would make sure. sense. You can leave little messages right. for people. You can leave messages for people. And this billionaire uh, who is very famous and his platform is exceedingly popular with billions of users espouses the viewpoint that Holocaust denial is uh, while he doesn't certainly doesn't endorse it and doesn't agree with it, it's it's tolerable speech on the platform. You wouldn't believe it. You that in the past that wouldn't that, that's it's hard to think of a, a, a of an issue that that should be less tolerated, right? And and wouldn't be like if you it, it, it's hard for me to even articulate how how ridiculous that is. But he said it, and he really meant it. It was like his thoughtful, considered. Idea, you know, yeah, he did. He said that, and I guess that he said that, and 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 we were, and 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 here's here's what kills me about that. People kept working for him. <laughs> I'm I'm with you on that, and I've gotten an people. I mean, people kept building that platform. I mean, I you know, I'm thinking if I was like a worker on that line, and and um, if if this were like a meatpacking plant, and we're down there like in the rendering pit, and you know we get word from on high, like guess what? Uh, stop thro- stop uh, separating the good meat from the bad meat. We're going to sell it all. <laughs> I would hope that me and you working next to each other were turning to each other and, and say, like, what the hell? What? No, we couldn't have said that. 
let's go, let's double check because we're not going to do that, John. We can't sell bad meat to the people. It's, I mean, even for selfish reasons, what if some of this bad meat ends up on my kid's right. plate? I, I guess that part of what makes this argument have legs, this free speech, that, that, that this argument that it is an issue of free speech, is that Zuckerberg's take on that issue was about Facebook as a public square, right? It, it was him arguing that because he supports free speech – Right, like, like you know that that he was. A, is it any wonder that critics now of of his decision to to kick Trump off the platform are calling it a, a, a violation of free speech? Because Zuckerberg himself was promoting that mindset, that way of thinking about Facebook. Right, like if if Zuckerberg wants his platform to be considered the public square then his position of leadership should be up to a vote by the public. The same as any other public office. But it's not, is it? No, it's not. It's, you know, and, and it's just artful dancing, you know, that to, to, it's sophistry to argue otherwise. And, and it's in a way that we wouldn't tolerate it in real life. You really wouldn't, we wouldn't tolerate a, a workplace. One way, one way to look at this is that all these platforms kicked him off when um, when he incited all that shit at the Capitol. Right. Another way to look at it is that they kicked him off when they were done milking the husk. Because uh, what happened at the Capitol was atrocious. I mean, I'm... No, there's. I I wouldn't want to talk to anybody who would debate that right. point. Um, but if you look at what he's done in four years in power, there have been so many other moments that were just as atrocious, and that you could have seen that this is where it was inevitably going. Something yeah. violent, yeah, right. Um, and the fact that that those didn't give Jack Dorsey or Mark Zuckerberg cause. Uh, is disgraceful. Right. So I think it was a combination of you know there was some math, there was some math done there, and it was it was accounting math. This is terrible times. Well, we're done with them anyway. Right. Yeah, it's it, it, there's you know. It, I I've reused the phrase "better late than never" more times than I should have probably in the in the last week, and I still agree with it. I I don't think that they should have said, "Well, now it's too late. He's only got ten days left in office. Why kick him off now? We'll wait till he's out." I I don't you know I think it was better that they did it when they did than not having done it at all. Totally agreed. Totally agreed. Can you? I mean, this is a, the amount of damage that he could do in ten days. It's unbelievable. I mean, just just think back. I mean, wh- when 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 was the impeachment vote? The first one. <laughs> the, there was one yesterday. <laughs> John, a president was impeached in the United States yesterday. <laughs> Does it feel like that? No, it doesn't. It's bizarre. I mean, when we were kids, 
there was, you know, the Buchanan impeachment, which, you know, is something weird that happened back then when, you know, men wore wigs and, and had uh, top lamb, hats lamb chop sideburns. Bullshit. Yeah, lamb chop sideburns. And then all of a sudden there was the Clinton impeachment. You're like, whoa. Well, and there was Nixon, right? Well, like we grew up in the post-Nixon world. Right, right. Except Nixon wasn't, I mean, wasn't impeached. He, he, he had the decency to right. quit. Um, but yeah, then we lived through the Clinton impeachment. And it was like, holy shit, this is such a big deal. This may be like, this is such a big moment. And... uh in the last year, we've lived through two more. It's same guy. <laughs> and yesterday's was just like, oh, yeah, he was impeached. What are we having for dinner? That's <laughs> very true. That's how, I, honestly, I was at the end of my rope yesterday. I, I uh... <laughs> like o- Overton's window has so much plywood on it at this point. It's. But to me, the thing to keep coming back to as a first principle is a commitment to truth and that the spreading of lies simply cannot be tolerated. And that's, that's where it all yeah. starts. I mean, there are all sorts of political viewpoints that people can espouse that I disagree with vehemently, but I, I would, you know, uh, I would support your ability to espouse them, but not, not spreading lies. Yeah. I mean, because that's the other thing, too, about this. And and one thing I've been saying to people and, and trying to think about and trying to do myself in, in when I'm writing about this and talking about it is to target the liars, not the people who believe the lies. That doesn't mean I forgive uh, the people who who believe the lie that this election is rigged and that they're not complicit in it and that they don't bear responsibility, you know. But to me... It's the people who knowingly spread the lies and promoted this that deserve our ire because it's the bigger problem. Well, the bigger, bigger problem. Do you want to talk about the bigger, yeah, bigger I do. problem? What do you think? We were ready. I mean, we'll believe anything that these idiots say because ultimately we're freaked out as fuck that um, uh, we really like the idea of a white America and it's going away. And um, so we'll happily elect anybody who um, keeps talking about that. And we'll believe anything they have to Don't say. Don't you think that's partly really like the how, – how did this happen? How, 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 um, how, how, how in the world did this mob break into the Capitol? And I feel like the – They were let right, in. Well, at it, it, some places, but – and why weren't they – you know, people have have pointed out repeatedly this the difference in the nature of the preparations that in the same city, Washington D.C., that they did over like in June for Black Lives Matter protests, and you know had National Guard troops wearing camouflage and body armor, yeah, uh, to protect the uh, the Lincoln Memorial of all. You know, that's where somebody had photos of it. You know, it's not even a, a, far less. It's just a memorial, right? It's just a stat. The IRD. Um, IRD. But so why why weren't why wasn't Congress protected similarly for this? And I don't think I think part of it is a bit of a conspiracy. And I think that there are some sympathetic. I mean, you know, we, we've seen the pictures that some of the police were taking selfies with the people they should have been arresting. Um, but I think. I, 
Because white people can get away right. with it. It's it's because white people can get away with this right. shit. There's is there any question that with the exact if if January sixth had been a Black Lives Matter protest of the same size, you know, ten thousand people, fifteen thousand people, however many people were there for this protest, uh, that they would have been it would have been an entirely different security setup around the Capitol. It would have been entirely different. The, the closest body, and I mean body wouldn't have made it within 50 foot of the Capitol steps. No. And they would have been shot. Black people attacking the Capitol would have been shot on sight. Well, I, I was thinking about this. I don't even think that, that I, they would have if they had tried to, but they wouldn't have tried. And one of the things, while the actual riot was ensuing and we had footage of it and we could see it. And then in the days afterwards, when, you know, the cell phone video and stuff like that came out, the thing that's so shocking is how the the perpetrators, the mob, they 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 weren't scared in the least bit. There there was you know like I saw they've never had so to be. they've never had to be. So I saw firsthand. I saw looting here in in Philadelphia back in June uh, when the protests went bad, and the one thing it it was very clear that the people doing it were had that nervous energy of uh, uh people who thought they might be shot at any moment right like the people just running people just running out of of a, a model sporting goods with a, a fistful of sneakers uh boxes of sneakers they had that nervous energy where they there was sort of a, a giddy rush of you know uh, mayhem but they also had the nervous energy of people who wouldn't have been the least bit surprised to hear gunshots coming from police officers at any moment. Whereas these, the, the, this crowd who took the Capitol, they were strolling like that, the, that numbskull from Florida who stole Nancy Pelosi's podium. He was posing, you know, and again, it's not that, you know, not even did they think that they'd be arrested or whatever, but there was no fear that they were going to be shot. It is so. I don't think Black Lives Matter black protesters would have never tried this because they they would have assumed they'd be shot. Of course, it is a crazy. It's insane that they because they were white and looked like well, they're certainly you know white people certainly wouldn't barge in and storm the Capitol. So you know we don't need any extra security. Well, they don't have to. They were they're invited in. They were invited in, and I don't mean just that day. They were invited in the day before. Right. They were given tours by some of the Congress people. What, did you see stories about that? Uh, I've seen some, like with this Bobert woman. Uh, I forget her first name, but she's the one who made the video that went viral, uh, yeah. bragging about the fact that she planned to uh, carry a. Uh, this is before you know, before this happened, that she was going to. Uh, carry a gun around Congress and became an internet sensation. But I saw that, uh, that I think it was her who brought people in the day before. Yeah. She was giving people right. tours, like the same people who would go, go to riot the right. next day. Well, and then her, her speech, you know, it, 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 you have to see it. You know, I, I think the the transcript alone doesn't convey 
the sense of what she's saying. But when she gave a speech during the fight over whether to certify this election, she said, I have constituents who are out there right now. And the way she said it was very clear. It wasn't just, oh, that's an unfortunate way of saying it because she knew she had constituents who were at the protest. She knew that they were coming to, to storm the Capitol. You know, all, all you need to know about how fair this election was is is how much conservatives are fighting against it. What? Explain. I think this is probably the most fair election we've ever had, and I think, you know, Georgia supports right. that. Um, and, oh, my God, the, the work that Stacey Abrams did. That's unbelievable, right? Is She's, it's, she's it's, quite possibly one of the most effective leaders— that in my adult lifetime that we've ever had in our nation it it what she did in georgia is just astounding and it's the diligent hard work right so for people who don't follow I, she she had a you know talk about a rigged election she lost the governor's race in georgia yeah. and i know that, 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 that that's sort of the dastardly thing that that trump has this ability of of saying you know that because he wants to he he he, he made lock her up a chant right and therefore, yeah. then when he faces the uh, the law come January twenty first, he he and his supporters can say that that this is just retribution because it's you know same reason that he said lock her up. Now they're saying lock him up, and it doesn't you know you can't say that. I trust me, they make the argument. They'll say you can't say that Hillary Clinton should not have been uh, chanted against lock her up, and now turn around and say that Trump should be locked up. But that's it's just nonsense because she didn't commit crimes. Of course he did. did. Yeah. There were no crimes. Right. I mean um I believe it was Stacey Abrams who said, and if I and if I'm wrong about this quote, forgive me, uh, but I believe it, it she was the one who said, uh, uh the South is not red, the South is suppressed. Mm-hmm. And um, I and she proved that right. she proved that in Georgia at least, and I I, I think the <clears throat> the the conservatives' issue with this election was that uh, holy shit uh, our rigging didn't work our rigging <laughs> didn't work we have been rigging these elections for for ever. And uh, somehow, this this woman and her and her organization and all of her people uh, managed to do like the impossible, and um, they got all these people to vote who we didn't want right. voting. I saw a, a fascinating interview back during. Remember uh, how long ago was that? Like that that week between the election and the networks calling it officially for Biden. Uh, I that was uh, that was sixteen years ago. I I was watching MSNBC, and I think it was at some point midweek. It was you know in, after the election and before the networks called it, but like at a point where w the state of Wisconsin was officially called for Biden, and they had the I forget it doesn't matter what his name is, but you know the guy who was in charge of the, the Democratic National Committee in Wisconsin on MSNBC and they were congratulating him saying, you know, this was a lot closer than the polls were saying Wisconsin would be. You did a great job. And he just said, whoa, whoa, whoa. Let me just say right now, I don't deserve anywhere near as much credit for Wisconsin as you're giving me. 
Stacey Abrams does. And they're like, well, you know, she was running it in Georgia. And he goes, no, you don't understand. She came up here last year in 2019 and took a look at our organization and told us she left us with a plan that we followed to a T and we realized we had no plan. You know, we, it, it, her, she, it's not just Georgia. She is, is really, she's like a genius at, at, at an organizational level of following, you know, like writing a computer program, do this, do that. If this, then do this, then do this yep. and, and do the hard work. And the thing that is so astounding to me is that she got to work on this as soon as she had that election stolen from her in Georgia, just immediately, no, no time of self-pity, no wallowing, just got to work and look at this. It's uh, really unbelievable. And so Biden didn't need any one of these states, right? Like Georgia could have been a few thousand votes in the other direction and Trump could have won Georgia and Biden still wins the election, but he needed a bunch. And if Georgia hadn't been for Biden and Wisconsin hadn't, and Wisconsin I mean, was so close, this guy was saying if Stacey Abrams hadn't helped Wisconsin, Democrats in Wisconsin, they would, he said, we would have lost. There's no question in his mind. I mean, this is, you know, right after the election, people, you know, I saw people were like, well, this isn't the landslide we thought it would be. And I was like, holy shit. It was an, it was an absolutely a landslide. It had to be a landslide. There was, it had to be a landslide to get through all of the barriers and just get to the other side. Yeah. And we were never going to get to the other side with, you know, 50 million more votes than the other dude. Right. But it took, it took everything. It's, I, I, I think it's just so hard to articulate how close we came to, to losing this, losing and really losing democracy. I mean, I don't think we're out of the Oh, fire. I don't think so either. Uh, I think, yeah. Right. We're still in a, a, a straw house with a bunch of people flicking matches, you know, at the walls. Yeah. Uh, we just don't have a fire right at the moment. But if, if Trump had won, man, it, it's, you could see it. That, that was it. That was it. And I know it sounds like hyperbole and people, you know, what, I know, you know, you know, I, in, in 2016, in 26, no, wait, 2017, I'm sorry. In 2017, I was going around um, and I was doing a talk uh, called how to fight fascism. And, you know, mostly like online shit, but catchy title. So I, I ran with it. And, um, I made mention several times in the talk about, you know, fascist activities on lines and everything uh, online and things like that. And after uh, the first time I did it uh, during the Q and a, somebody like stood up and they're like, you can't just call anyone you don't like a fascist. Right. And I was like, you know, I'm talking about actual fascists here, right? This isn't just me like picking a dirty word to call people who hurt my feelings. We're talking actual fascists. Didn't see it. People didn't see it. There's uh, it. I, you don't hear it. I don't know why the word sort of disappeared, but for a while, the people would would talk about fanboys, and I had this line. Uh, you know, people would would accuse me of being an Apple fanboy. 
right? I can't, I lost count of how many times I faced yeah. that accusation. And my, my, my zinger was that I, I enjoyed collecting, uh, uh, remarks from people. Uh, who's the guy who owns the Dallas Ma- Mavericks? He's one. Mark Cuban. Yeah, he's Cuban. one of them. Cuban. Where where uh, these people's definition of a Mac uh, Apple or Mac fanboy is somebody uh, anybody who was into Apple's devices before they were. <laughs> right. It's like the moment that Mark That's, Mark yeah. Cuban became a Mac user and started espousing how great the platform was, but in the past he had accused you know people of, of being wrong. It's it's the same sort of mindset where it's like these people they don't acknowledge that we were right that Trump was a deranged lunatic and a danger, a menace to the nation and the world, uh, and they called us what they call it Trump derangement syndrome. Right. And instead of saying, huh, mm-hmm. you guys were right. This guy was a menace to the world. Their, their perspective is no, you were still wrong and it was all hyperbole. It's just that, uh, I came around to the idea that he's dangerous at the right time, which was right when, when there's a nitwit run, running around the halls of Congress with a Confederate flag inside the building. Anybody, anybody who knew what the hell they were talking about or had any sense of history saw this four years ago or more. You know Sarah Sarah Kenzier, who wrote um, Hiding in Plain Sight, right? Oh, yes, yes, Hiding in Plain Sight. Uh, Yeah, she's amazing. And, I mean, she's been uh, talking about this shit on Twitter forever. And she she nailed it. Like, Like, back when, you know, Trump started doing his thing, she was like, here's what's going to happen, piece by piece by piece by piece. And it'll happen in this order. And all of those things happened, right? But it it, it 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 it's like there's these. It's it's almost like people are arguing at the meta level, saying you you can't call the president fascist. But that's not the argument. Well, you can't. If right. That's the thing. Is it it, it it's like it, it, this bizarre viewpoint that it can't be that the president can't be a narcissistic sociopath. That's that just can't be. Yes, it can be. It you absolutely know, can be. You know, you know where else I see this a lot is uh, is is when guys decide that their friends um, didn't fuck up because they're good guys, right? Right. So you define the person, um, and then every action that they take falls under that umbrella right. that you've decided that person is, versus defining their actions. Right. No, that's a very good analogy. No, it's 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 how high up in the stack your your priorities are, and right. if the if so, Steve, Steve uh, can do good things and he can do some bad things, uh, and we call Steve on the bad things he does and we praise him for the good things he does, rather than Steve's a good guy, therefore, everything Steve does is good. And you hear you hear uh, Trump talking that way about people too, like oh Epstein, yeah. good yeah. dude, good dude. Yeah. <laughs> one of um, anybody. Well, one of my favorite uh, moments of this whole thing, because it, it really was a light bulb going off in my head, was was uh, back when Woodward's book came out in August. Talk about something that feels like it was sixteen years ago, but Bob Woodward's Jesus. second book comes out, and Trump, you know, and it, and it has contains all sorts of scathing, just. Absolutely scathing facts about the lunacy of this man. And 
Trump was talking about his phone calls with Woodward. And I guess, I think it's because Woodward had, had tapes, right? He taped all the phone calls. Uh, and he's playing, I think he was on the Colbert show and Woodward is playing a tape of Trump talking to him. And he's like, just tell me, Bob, is it a good book? And what Trump meant clearly about a good book is whether it was flattering to him or not. It had nothing to do with is it right. is it actually interesting? Is it historically significant reporting? Is it well written? Are the sentences good? Or even is it printed well? Is it a nice book to hold? What he thinks a good book is is a a book that was uh, flattering to him, and that's it. Of course, yeah. Oh. Very fair. Very fair to me. Very fair. <laughs> Said nice things. And he's even said to him, he's like, your last book, it was terrible. It was a terrible book. And I'm telling you, Bob, if you write a good book, it'll sell. Trust me. That's what people want to read. Yeah. A, a book telling you the world how great he is. Um, Speaking of books. Yeah. Well, let me take a break and hey. thank our good friends at Squarespace. Oh, man. Squarespace is back for 2021, sponsoring the show. Hey, they always put this in the, the the notes for the shows. New Year's. Everybody has New Year's resolutions. One of yours might be to update your old website, start a new website. Uh, you have a website idea for a website or an existing website you need to improve. You should take a look at Squarespace. Squarespace does everything from registering domain names to the templates to to the CMS where you actually post blog entries or you can host a podcast, anything. All right there. No coding experience required. You don't need to know the difference between HTML and CSS. Or if you do, you can dig right in and adjust the code. They cater both ends of the technical spectrum. It is a great, great hosting platform. Go to, to find out more, squarespace.com slash talk show. And when you use that same code, just plain talk show, no the, you save 10% off your first order. And that includes, you could just pay for a whole year in advance, 10% right off. It's like getting a couple months free. So my thanks to Squarespace for their continuing support of the talk show. So let's do it. Let's talk about your book. You have a new book. How many books have you written, Mike? This is number four. Uh, what in, and the name of the new book is? The Collected Anger. I love that. I love the cover. Are you sending me a copy? I don't have it yet. Yeah, I'm, gonna, yeah, I'm absolutely sending you a copy. Um, Can we talk about this typeface? I love... Oh, Did I, you design yeah. the cover? I mean, did you okay. do the cover? I did. Um, I mean, I, I'm only talking about the typeface because I want to give props to the type designer. Otherwise, I would, I would be yelling at you for starting a conversation <laughs> about a book by talking about a typeface. <laughs> Um, the, the typeface is, uh, Bayard. How do you spell that? God, I hope I'm pronouncing that How do you right. Spell it. B-A-Y-A-R-D. B-A-Y-A-R-D. I would say Bayard. Bayard. Uh, and, uh, it's by vocal type and vocal type. Um, I think vocal type is just one person. Hmm. Trey. Um, and, um, but in case they're not, I'll keep saying they um, and referring to vocal type. Um, vocal type is making typefaces based on um, civil rights signs. And the lettering style of that era. Yeah. 
and they're beautiful. Yeah. Um, I mean, not only are the typefaces beautiful, but um, the fonts themselves, they've done a really fantastic job um, of making, you know, quality yeah, stuff. Like technically speaking, uh, o- o- yeah, open type stuff and, you know. They're, they're visually stunning and uh, technically robust. Here's the thing I, about this typeface, that I, and we can talk about the book more, but the thing about this typeface, I, I, I would love to just, uh, uh, you know, give you, I, you know, you and I, we are publicly, we, we, we give each other a hard time, right? We, we bust each other's balls. I would love to bust your balls about it, but I can't because it's just, it is the perfect font for your voice. It is somehow, it, it, it is you. I, it's a, a hard to believe that this typeface wasn't made just for you to use on this book. It is. Well, it wasn't. Um, I, you know, considering that, considering where it came from and its history, um, I'm, I'm honored that you would say that. And I'm, I'm mostly, I'm, I'm relieved that I haven't embarrassed it. <laughs> so what is the book about? The subtitle is Essays About Design for an Unwilling Audience. Explain. Um, this is the book that you put together when you've been uh, sitting at home for 10 months under quarantine. Uh, you can barely put two words together to write anything new. And um, you start reading over your old stuff and um, realizing that, hey, some of this old stuff is pretty good. And uh, it's scattered all over the Internet. And who knows how long the Internet's going to be around. Um, And there was definitely, I mean, that was definitely a a concern during the campaign. Um, That, you know, we might all be living in caves eating nuts and berries. And at that point, I wanted you to have a book. (laughs) It's it's nowhere near as funny as it would have sounded years ago, but... It is still funny. <laughs> oh, that's sad. That's sad how close we came. Uh, anyway, I, I really, I just wanted to put all the old stuff together in a volume. And um, if if you've read the other three books, uh, one, thank you. Uh, and two, uh, some of this may sound um, familiar. Because hmm. uh, the, the way that I do, the way that I write everything is I start with an essay. Or what we used to call blog posts. Right. Um, you start with an essay, and then at some point, some of them were like, "Hey, wait a minute! That's I want to turn that one in with talk." Or um, that one is actually let's blow that up into a whole book. Or that one may be the chapter of a book. Um, so they kind of become like Lego pieces, and you know, you break up the essays and you know, recombine them with other things. Um, so they've all been, um, some of them have, have come out, have, have come out as parts of books. Um, if you've seen a talk here and there, some of this will sound familiar. Uh, but this is, uh, all that stuff in its original essay form. Uh, where can people find this book? They can go, uh, everywhere, everywhere. Uh, my preferred method is if you go to bookshop.org and get it there uh, because they will they um, kick back a percentage of the cash to local independent books bookshops. Uh, 
Isn't that talk about things that uh, it just you, you, you try explaining to your thirty year ago self that bookshops would be in danger in the year twenty twenty, uh, and you would think, uh, what what is there an apocalypse? I mean, and I guess you know we've had a, we do have a pandemic and it has furthered yeah. the stress, and so that actually is a further stress point. But of all this sort of uh, it, it it does. It sounds like something out of you know uh, an Orwell book. You know the the idea that bookshops are are endangered. Um, it's it's still I still find it incredibly hard to believe that Borders is gone. And I know that that's not an independent books bookstore, but that's it's like I get what you mean. You yeah. know it it how could that how how could that be? You know anyway. So I mean. Borders was kind of like either Borders or Barnes and Noble was like every little book reading nerd's first bookstore. We had we had those. at the mall uh, where I grew up. We had a uh, a Walden Books and what was the other one? Walden Books. That's that's yeah. But one. I think Walden Books. One of them was was like the sub brand for Borders, and one of them was the sub brand for what's the other big mega chain. Uh, Oh, there was like some initial thing, like W H. Yeah. Auden. I loved. I don't. I, don't. I, I always. It's just uh, my parents would have to drag me out of the bookstore at the mall. It's just. It was just what I was. It just felt like heaven. I don't know. I I would be willing to go on any mall trip with my parents, um, because I would escape and go to the bookstore. Yeah. I was just thinking about that too. I was thinking about how. I used to we used to go to uh, do our grocery shopping at Pathmark once a week, and I would go with my mom, and I would just go to the newsstand, and I could tell. I was thinking about this in bed. I was, I, I could tell you, I, I don't remember almost anything else about that Pathmark, but I could tell you how to get to where the magazines were, and and you, I would. Um, did Did you have the little racist books? And oh in yeah, the, yeah, the little. Uh, you remember the little racist joke book? Yeah, uh, yeah, but I don't think they sold those at Pathmark, right? I, uh, Oh, yeah, they did because they yeah, yeah, you're right at the registers. No, and there'd be like, yeah, there'd be like, oh my god, that's so true. That it would be like they were two, they were two and po- ones. You flipped it, it over. It'd be like Polish jokes on the one side and Italian jokes on the right. other side, right? Right. Yeah, and they would just sell them at the at at the checkout uh, at the supermarket. Yep. <laughs> uh, my my favorite day, and I I should have subscribed, but in some ways, in some ways, we have come a long way as a society in some ways <laughs> they, were, they they sold polish joke books at the cash register and, and at, at, the, at supermarket. the supermarket and you and that is so true that you you turn it upside down and from the back forward it'd be like italian jokes that's unbelievable yep oh. i loved going to the supermarket for that reason and i would buy mad magazine so I wouldn't read Mad Magazine there, and my mom would would uh, you know let me buy it. I would read all the other magazines that she wouldn't let me buy. Right, that's a good strategy. Right, right there. it's like maximize my uh, my reading material. And the supermarket, unlike like a neighborhood shop, right? Like we had like a neighborhood uh, like. Uh, coffee shop type place that sold comic books and uh the guy would come out jake he was the guy who owned the place if if you sat there and you know he'd, he'd give you know this isn't this ain't a library kids you know 
we'd you know so we'd go in there and start reading the comic books we didn't want to buy until the man who owned the store would say get out of here or you know buy it the pathmark didn't care they didn't care if i sat there and read newsweek cover to cover they did not they did not it felt it felt like i was getting getting away with something <laughs> they that's because uh your mom was walking around filling a grocery basket or a giant cart uh, which probably totaled sixty dollars. <laughs> well, the other thing, yeah, <laughs> totally. You fill a cart for like six forty-seven bucks. <laughs> yep, and then they complain. They complain. That's that's too much. Well, it always astounded me that there were other kids in the supermarket who weren't doing the same thing. Like, what? Why aren't you here reading with me? What? What do you? What in the world are you doing? Why would you want to walk up and down the aisles of a supermarket? Oh, we've really come a long way. Um, anyway, the book looks great. I am looking forward to getting my Thank copy you. from you because I, I don't want to buy it. Um, but if I no. were going to buy it, I would go to bookshop.org, buy it from an independent seller. But you could find this book anywhere that books are sold. Uh, anything else you want to? We're not, using, we're not using the name of that other place, but yeah, it's there yeah. too. Uh, if you, and if uh, I know you've got some some um, some uh, a lot of Apple uh, aficionados, right. let's say, uh, who listen to this, it's available as an ebook at uh, the Apple Bookstore. Yeah. Well, I, I get it any literally anywhere yeah. books are sold. Anything else you want to promote? People can find you on Twitter at Montero on M O N T E I R O. Unless I've been suspended. <laughs> Which happens every couple of weeks now. <laughs> uh, you used to be Mike for the win, Mike FTW. How did you pronounce your old Twitter handle? Did you say Mike for the win uh, or Mike FTW? I think I would say FTW underscore FTW. That was a long time yeah. ago. I, I never. I didn't know. I'm not good with acronyms. I I didn't know what FTW stood for for a long time. But you and I were friends, and I knew it was your handle, and I really didn't. I thought it was like fuck the world or something. I, I wasn't even sure. I hear that one a lot too from yeah. people. Um, and, you know, when they thought it, it, it meant that, I, I was, you know, fine. Run right. with it. <laughs> Run with it. Uh, but anyway. Just just keep faving. Call it. Because, <laughs> you know, that pays my rent. <laughs> this has been, uh, uh, for me, a stress relief. I, I enjoyed talking about this with you, and I'm uh, really glad to have had you on the show. And it, it's one of those episodes of my show where, in hindsight, who else would I have had on this week to talk about these mischievous other than you? Really, you know the the I, I always love coming on the show, John, um, and I, I I want to apologize because uh, your regular listeners probably stopped listening about an hour and thirty minutes. Ago. Yeah, well, we'll send them over from your Twitter account, though. There you go. Well, but that's the other thing too. And let me just say this. We, you know, regularly scheduled programming will come back. But uh, uh, four years ago, Merlin came on the show after the election and we had a, uh, we called it a holiday party. I was drunk. Uh, <laughs> uh, this November, Merlin came back on and I was not drunk because uh, Biden had won. Uh, there are times when, to me, and I get it. So, so you drink when you're sad, but not happy. Uh, I, 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 I drank too much after Trump won four years ago. To be honest, I mean, it, 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 it was 
a temporary coping mechanism that I should have. No, I get. I should have should have had the wherewithal as as a grown man to stare it in the face, but I I couldn't uh, honestly. And again, it's a lot. It was well, a lot. I, I, I again, I don't want to lord this over. I'm not looking for. Uh, my son Jonas's famous being right points, you know, our family currency here in the Gruber household. Um, oh, I know that. I, I love a being right point. I don't really want it. It's it, I'm not looking for. Yes, you were right, but I, I saw. You know, I didn't know how it would happen, but it's like every president. Who, which president has ever not faced a major crisis? It, it, it that's the way the world works. That's the job. And when this yeah. man was faced with a crisis he was going to do the exact wrong thing. And here we are, you know, with the goddamn pandemic among other well, also, things. Let's, let's not, jinx right. it. let's not jinx right. it because I don't know when this is being released, but I'm, we're st- I'm still looking at six yeah. days. Well, I've had that count. I have a count. I've put a countdown on my website before the election. And then some, I forget who it was, but after the election, uh, just a little number up in the corner and somebody said, you should bring it back and, make it for inauguration day and i've had it up for i don't know 90 days or something i i yeah. i long i days. greatly enjoy seeing it now in the single digits but i really really cannot wait for that number to be zero how much do you think we're gonna sleep like like my wife has said she cannot believe how much better she's sleeping now that his t- twitter is unplugged and and she she gets up before I do. I'm I'm the night owl. She wakes up earlier. And our, our it it the oddest ritual that I didn't anticipate how it would make me feel is that I no longer wake up and say to her any anything you know meaning what what is Trump been tweeting about today? That's how for years. Mm-hmm. That's how we've spent most of the last four years. Is my I you know good morning mm-hmm. uh, anything. You know, no, he's golfing, you know, or nope. Oh, wait till you see it. He's gone off on whatever. It is, a, it is an, I mean, an incredible that, relief. It, it is. That was the really terrifying part is that it could have been literally anything. It, it is. It's, 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 it's like when you have like a browser tab that's consuming a, a huge chunk of your CPU and it makes everything on your computer, your scrolling's a little janky. Yeah. It, it, having that tab closed it, in my mind is unbelievable. I feel like I've gained 20 IQ points. It, it's, I, I feel like I just shut down an Adobe product. You know, it's the same way, you know, you hear, I, 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 I'm trying to wrap this up, but it's, it's like when you go through, when you, when, when you personally or a loved one goes through a health crisis of any kind, you can't get anything else done. It's too consuming. You you just can't you know yeah. it, it's you'd like to think you you can you know and that you can uh, compartmentalize stuff, but when something like that is weighing in your in your head, you know that this this idiot might start a war with a tweet. It, it's crazy. Yeah. Well, anyway, I am so glad to get this it off my chest. Lot. Good. It was a good lot. talking to you. Uh, last show. This is this will almost certainly be the last episode of the talk show in the Trump administration. That feels Yay. good. Maybe the, the Dorsey administration too. <laughs> you know what we didn't talk about? What did we not talk about? What the hell happened? Like, like if you had been a like to be a fly on the wall inside uh, Twitter. I mean, there's no inside Twitter. It was 
probably all over Zoom or something. But the actual conversation where, and I'm guessing, I'm guessing there are probably like a pack of pretty high up employees who went in at once and were like, enough. I would love to see it documented. I, I, it's Ben, Ben Thompson and I have talked about this, that it, it, for all my criticism, I think Facebook is a far greater threat to society than Twitter. I think Facebook is a real problem. But I will give Zuckerberg credit for be, having a coherent strategy for dealing with this. And when they finally pulled the trigger, they just pulled the trigger. The way that Twitter gave him a 12-hour timeout and temporarily that was banned it. And then the next... That was disgraceful. It just it was so incoherent. That's That, to me, had to be the, the precipitating moment where the executives went to Jack and said, Jack, you, how, how in the world can we end a 12-hour timeout? He just... This can't be, you know. Well, I wouldn't be sure they were all executives either. Yeah, I don't know. I would like to. You know what? They, they, there was. They, the, I don't. I don't want to know. I don't want to know because honestly, if we were to find out now, I think some of those people might be in danger. Yeah, it's true. Well, they, they, there was a letter, you know, that rank and file employees sent. I, I, I did hear about the yeah. letter, and I, I believe the letter was before the twelve-hour timeout. I, mean, I right, could be wrong right. there. I forget too. Um, yeah, but I mean, remember they let him back on after the 12 hour timeout. And at that point, every other platform was already booting him permanently. Right. It's just a, a very strange response. You know, I mean, it's like, not if you, not if you, not if you, not if you know anything about addiction. Hmm. Yeah, that's, it's, that's the best analogy I can think of. It's true. Jack. Jack Dorsey is addicted to Donald Trump as much as Donald Trump is addicted to tweeting. Right. And it was, it was like a bargaining maneuver, right? Okay. 12 hours of, of shutout, not just you can't post, but we're going to disable the account for 12 hours. Yeah. You know, it's, Oh, I can do it. I can, I can go 12 hours. I can go 12 hours. Yeah. We've all heard this. Yeah, it's true. I can go 12 hours. It's not a well, problem. Anyway, to better times ahead. Thanks, Mike. Better times ahead.